Betty came by on her way Said she had a word to say About things today Said she hadn't heard the news Hadn't had the time to choose Way to lose But she believes Gonna see the river man Gonna tell him all I If he tells me all he knows About the way his river flows And all night shows Summertime Okay, I am going to attempt to get through this. Had my stomach in knots all day. Not something I have to do, but something I feel compelled to do. I'll start with a 9-11 memory, of course. It is the 22nd anniversary of that. Uh, we want to never forget, but it also happens to relate to what I want to talk about here. My first memory of 9-11 is receiving a call from my oldest friend, James Montjoy. Diamond Jimmy, we called him. And if you remember, not all of you will, but the initial reports were that a small plane, someone had flown a small plane into one of the towers. And I remember getting the call and him saying, if you've seen the news, look, turn on the news. Some jackass uh, flew a small plane into the tower, and, and, and we laughed about it. And then, obviously, little time later, we came to understand the direness of the situation, as did everyone. Uh, I tied that in because of the day that it is, because I want to relate to you that I, I was that friend, and he was that friend to me, that if something happened of note or just crazy or of interest in the world in which we lived. I was his first call. He was my first call. I'm sure many of you, if not all, have that friend or have had that friend. Jim Montjoy was my oldest friend. I moved from Chicago to Tampa. I did one year of high school in Chicago I came here as a sophomore, Lato High. And I remember sitting in the cafeteria by myself because I knew no one. Obviously, the class that I was going to be in, they had already gone through the freshman year, so everybody kind of knew everybody else. And Jimmy was sitting across, 
across the cafeteria, and he got up, and he came over to me, and he introduced himself. And that would begin our friendship. He came over to me because, and we like to joke about it, uh, we were the only two black guys in the cafeteria. We used to joke that we were the only two black guys at Lato High that year. It uh, wasn't necessarily true. We had a third friend in the group, Hideo Core, and uh, but he was half Japanese, so we were always suspect of him. Uh, but he he was he was part of the group. wasn't a lot of black kids uh, in Lato uh, at the year that uh, we attended. And it uh, wasn't a lot of uh, Spanish kids either. This was before the influx of uh, Spanish and Latin and Mexicans into town and country, and they chased all of the uh, white folks uh, west. That's how West Chase got his name, by the way, when all of the Spanish people moved into town and country, chased the white folks west, just in case you didn't know that. So I think you can Google it. But anyway, Jimmy and I became uh, fast friends, and I'll jump ahead uh, probably after he came. But he went to FAMU. He went away for FAMU. But we did the three years together at Lato, and um, you know, then he went away to FAMU, and I was doing some other things myself. But we would keep in touch, and we would always see each other when he visited. And then when he came back down, at that point I was in radio and doing stand-up, and he stayed down here and got a job here, and we were just inseparable. Uh, it was one of those situations where I can tell you that for the better part, the better part of two decades, we were always around each other three to four times a week. And it got to the point where it was Jimmy and... Uh, Jimmy and Maurice, uh, Maurice and Jimmy. Hey, if you, you know, where, when are Jimmy and Maurice coming? When are Maurice and Jimmy coming? You know, when are they going to get here? And that's just how it was. And he has been a part of pretty much every significant moment of my life for the from the ages of eighteen until really 50 if you if you really take the time and think about it if i do and um that's a lot that's a lot of time that's a hell of a lot of time and jimmy he was uh he was a he was a he was a heavy guy he was a heavy guy there's no other way to say it and I always tried to get on him about his weight, but you know that's uh that can be uh, that can be a battle in and of itself, aside from the battle of dropping weight if you are a heavy guy. But he had a heart as big as he was, he had a smile that was even bigger, and he personified, if you will the word infectious because his smile and his laugh and his heart and his expression, it was all infectious. You knew when Jimmy was in the room and you knew when Jimmy was having a good time. And Jimmy basically, he basically dared you 
not to laugh with him and not to have the good time that he was having. About five years ago, he started to develop some heart issues, which, you know, for his weight, you know, and he's not the only one. He was, a, you know, we drank. We drank a lot. Uh, we drank and we smoked. That's what we did. Uh, but sometimes that's not the smartest thing. And about five years ago, he developed a heart issue, and he had to get, uh, it was like a mini defibrillator put next to his heart. The doctor said his heart was working at, uh, moving at 25% capacity. And, you know, that was part and parcel because of all of the weight that he was carrying around. Obviously, that puts a strain on your heart. And so that began a series of health issues. And Jimmy, you know, he he tried to do correct, and for the most part, he did. And he never let that really kind of pull the light or the life out of him. Well... He was in and out of the hospital the last two years for maybe six sometimes, and it was always kind of exhaustion and heart-related. But you allow yourself in a situation like that to get comfortable with someone going, with hearing that someone, your friend, your oldest friend, is in the hospital and you uh, about about the third time you allow yourself to get comfortable with the belief that it's okay he's going to come out he's done it before he's done it before it's going to happen again i never let that stop me from going to visit him from you know asking him what he needed and bringing him what he needed well he was at the bucks game jimmy by the way jimmy by the way was one of the biggest bucks fans that i knew he was born and raised in Tampa, and he he bled the ever-changing colors of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, and he was at, I believe it was a Thursday game, maybe it was uh, preseason, I'm not sure, but it was a Thursday game. He was at the stadium. His employer had gotten him box seats, and, and he was overjoyed, and he started feeling ill. There was a picture posted of him at said game and he started feeling ill when he went to walk downstairs just to sit down and then someone asked him if he was okay and he said yes because Jimmy was an eternal optimist and the person looked at him and said I don't think you are Uh, long story short EMT were called in and he was taken to the hospital so I get a call or text from my friend Lynn Love who was had met Jimmy through me and had become equally fast friends and had ended up knowing him probably for the better part of 25 years. Jimmy and I knew each other for 40 years. We had 40 years of history. And that's something that I can never repeat. That's nothing that I can ever replicate. I don't think. I don't think that I have the time. I certainly don't have the desire. But he said, hey, Jimmy's in the hospital uh, again. And we had, I'd gone out, Jimmy, Lynn, and I, we'd gone out to Charlie's maybe a year earlier. And I noticed some weight loss from Jimmy. And I was like, wow, 
you know, you, you lose, you drop some weight. And Jimmy would say, yeah, I'm walking, I'm walking, I'm walking. That was his line, I'm walking. And so you accept that and you go, good. Now, I did notice because I ended up taking him home. He Ubered there. I ended up taking him home and I watched him as he got out of my car and walked up to his home, how slow he was moving. And it, and it made me sad. But I just attributed that to the heart issues, uh, which I'm sure helped contribute to that lack of momentum. But it just made me sad because it made me realize we're getting old and some of us get older faster than others for various reasons. Not all that we understand, not all that we know, that not all that are revealed to us. But... So when Lynn told me that he was in the hospital, I said, let me go and see him. And I almost did not because, again, you allow yourself to get comfortable with the fact that this is just the routine of that person. So I went to see him, and I walk into the room, and he just looked. He had lost 130 pounds. He was 130 pounds lighter. He was still big. But he had lost 130 pounds. He looked emaciated. And understand how big you have to be that if you drop 130 pounds, you look emaciated and still have some weight on you. And his face, Jimmy had a baby face. If you can imagine Biggie Smalls, there's pictures of him on and uh, myself on all of my social media. If you can imagine, uh, you know, you know, Biggie Smalls, you know, that, that cherub-like round face and that 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 gloriously bright smile and the, the cheeks that's exactly how he looked he had a baby face for the better part of 50 years and i looked into his face for the first time and and saw an old man and and that made me sad outside of the fact that he was laying in the hospital bed but he was in great spirits and I stayed there for an hour, and we joked, and we bitched, and we complained, and we laughed, and we did everything that we normally would do. And I asked him, I said, hey, when are you going to get out? Uh, what, what are they saying? What are the doctors saying? He was saying the doctors, the doctors didn't know. The doctors said he had certain, certain things, but they were also going to test for pancreatic cancer. Now, that gave me pause because being friends with Jimmy so long, I knew that his father, who had taught drafting at Leto High, died of pancreatic cancer. I don't remember the age. I think it was in his 60s, but he passed of pancreatic cancer. And I remember this, and I remember this very clearly. I remember one day being on the phone with Jimmy and him saying, my father was diagnosed with pancreatic cancer. And then I remember a week later, he was dead. And when I was told that, I was like, well, you know, I'm young. I'm not a doctor. I don't understand things. I had never really uh, dealt with anyone that had pancreatic cancer. I knew the term, but it wasn't something that I had heard often. And I said, but they just diagnosed him 
basically it was a week ago. But that's what happened. So I remember that. So when he told me they were going to test for pancreatic cancer, I thought that they should. But I'm like, okay, they're going to test. They would probably know by now because they've already run tests. He's been in the hospital over the course of a couple of years. It is not going to be that. And so I said, when are you going to be out? When are they going to release you? This was a Friday prior to Labor Day. He said, Tuesday. And I said, I knew he didn't have his car because it, he had taken an ambulance to the hospital. I said, well, I'll come and pick you up. He said, no, 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 I, I haven't. I'm going to Uber. And I said, no, you're not. I'm going to come pick you up. And And then I left. And I wanted to ask him. And I didn't. And I'm sorry I didn't. But I don't know that I would have gotten the answer or the truthful answer because Jimmy was an optimist. But I wanted to ask him, hey, man, are you sure? You know, you, you everything's okay, right? You, didn't, you know, we're good, right? I didn't, so I leave. And uh, I text him Saturday and everything's fine. And I am going to go see him next week jump to tuesday no act jump to jump to thursday and i get a text from my friend lynn that's related to me that jimmy is in hospice and i'm like what do you mean because again he was bright he was cognizant he was joyful he was laughing we were reminiscing I I will be completely forthright and honest. I walked out of there saying he does not have much time left. I remember saying to Lynn, talking to him on the phone, he was asking, how is Jimmy? I said, I don't think he's much time left. This was something that Lynn was kind of aware of too, but I'm thinking maybe two, three months based upon what I saw as far as his personality and his energy level. So it was very surprising to me to find out that five or so days later he was in hospice. And, of course, the next day, um, Lynn and I went to go see it. Well, the day after. It was Saturday. I, I asked John Brennan, could I not do the Saturday rock show? I explained to him I had a friend in hospice, and he said, go see your friend. And um, and I'm I'm sorry that I did that. I should have just done the show. Because I walk into the room and Jimmy is in the bed. And I, I've heard of hospice. Yeah, I've never had to see anyone in hospice. I think for for me, my image of hospice was, okay, they put you in a bed and, you know, they're kind of maybe waiting to see if you will possibly get better. I know that is naive, that is ignorant, that is stupid. You go to hospice or you sent to hospice because the doctors have deemed you are not going to get better. But I know, I know for a fact, there have been people that have been put into hospice and then have been released. 
because for whatever reason, they get better. I'm not that less of an optimist than my friend Jimmy. But I walk in, and he is on his back, but the lower part of his body is kind of turned to a side, or he's just... And he's he's asleep, and he's got a he's got a breathing tube in his nose. And the first thing that I notice is that unlike the hospital room, there are no monitors. There's there's nothing attached to him. There's nothing. There's nothing. It looks like it could have been a hotel room. There's just nothing medical there. And that is when the realization uh, realization hit me that the people at this hospice, they don't think he's coming out. Now, that doesn't mean that that's what I have to think. But as I got closer and I looked down at him and I could see it was the left side of his face, he was, he was sleeping on the right side, I looked at him and I said to myself, he's never going to wake up. For me, and his body had begun rejecting itself in various ways. I'm not going to get into the specifics of the the issues, but for me, it looked like his consciousness had decided that it would not allow him to awaken open his eyes and see that he was in a place that he was never going to leave. That and or his body just said, friggin' sleep through this and allow us to do what we're going to do. He was on morphine, and that was basically all that hospice did for him. And there were people there that were having conversations that I tuned out and I just looked at him. And after a while, Lynn and I decided to leave. He went over, you know, touched Jimmy. And he, he, um, he left and uh, I went over and I, I put my hand on him. I had, and I put my hand on him and he coughed. But I swear to you, I swear to God that it was a cough that sounded like a laugh, that sounded like <laughs> hey mo. It wasn't that. It was it was a cough. And I leaned down and I whispered something in his ear and then I I leaned back up and then I left. Left angry with myself that I had gone because the last memory that I could have had of a very, very dear friend, my oldest friend, could have been that of just how we had began and how I had known him throughout the course of the 40 years that we knew each other. But that was not going to be the last memory. That was not going to be the last image. It was going to be that of him laying in a bed asleep, me knowing that he would never awake. He passed away 
13, 14 hours later on Sunday. Now, 23 has been a hell of a year for me. I lost my grandmother. I lost my sister. And I, I did not think that I was going to cry for Jimmy. I, I thought I might well up, but uh, the, my grandmother lived to be 100. There was no reason to cry for that. That was a fantastic life that she had. My sister was very sudden. She was 61. And I, I cried when I, I walked into the hospital room and all of my family was there. And I'm trying to keep it together. I'm the oldest at this point now. And I leaned over to kiss her on the forehead. And as I was leaning back up, I could not lean back up. And I just stayed bent over with my lips pressed to her forehead. And I just started to cry. And, you know, five minutes later, you know, I, I kind of regained composure. So it was very shocking and surprising to me that um, I was told, you know, that uh, uh, vis-a-vis text that Jimmy had passed and I was laying on the couch at the time and watching the stupid, uh, uh, not stupid is actually kind of good, Arnold Schwarzenegger documentary, and I turned it off. And um, my wife, who had received the text and told me, um, she was coming towards me, you know, and I, and I said, and I put my hand up and I said, no, I said, just, just let me be alone. I just need some time alone. And I just wanted to lay there and just think about it. And, uh, and so she did that and went upstairs with the baby. And so there I was alone on the sofa and I started to think of some words to compose, to put up a tribute for him and let some of the friends know on social media and as I composed what I was going to write post I just broke I just broke down and I put the phone down on the couch and I said okay I'm going to cry a little bit and I I I cried a lot. <laughs> because I love that guy. <laughs> and we spent 40 years together, man. It was poor East and Jimmy. It was Jim. <laughs> it was Jimmy and Maurice. Man, we did some things, some of the greatest moments, some of the best moments, some of the most fun times of my life began with, hey, Jimmy, let's. And it was a beautiful day, and we're the same age. I'm actually old. Um, I was born in June. He was born in August. He should be here. I'm here, so why is he not here? And after about 30 minutes... I pulled myself up off the couch, grabbed a bottle of bourbon, I grabbed a Bluetooth speaker, 
and I went out onto the patio by myself and and uh, I poured a drink and and just sat there and uh and uh anyway I listened uh, uh, I listened to a song over and over and over again because it just kind of captured my mood. Later in the night, my eyes hurt from that point on and into the night because I just cried so much. And um, anyway, I mean, you know, what am I going to tell you? I'm not the only person that's lost someone this year or past years. I know that. I'm not going to tell you that, you know, make sure you check in with the people you love. You know that. It doesn't matter, man. It doesn't matter. We, um, we, are, we are born into a systematic series of losses. And you have to deal with it. And you have to allow life to go on. That doesn't mean. It doesn't effing suck when you lose somebody. That did so much with you. And that you're never going to see smile again. Gonna see the river man. Gonna tell him all I can About the band Feeling free If he tells me all he knows About the way his river flows I don't suppose Point five the bone. And now another bone traffic update from the 